another episode of the anarchist experience episode 338 aka year seven week 36 uh coming at you this week as always i'm your host mr richie rich along with mc and ks and does that intro music ever get old at this point like just the crescendo of it all starting starting to dig it good call ks um we're on we're on clubhouse we have a little club on clubhouse at the anarchist experience um, if you want to get in on that, search for it on Clubhouse, or you can at me at Riches for Rich R I C H E S the number four R I C H, and then I click the little button when when we launch this thing live to like invite everyone into the room, so that you can be a participant in the show, raise your hand, do whichever you want to do, um, because that's how we do it now, and it seems seems to be working out. Right? Like on from the technical side of things, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, so what is going on with you guys this week? Not much. I heard there's some stuff going on at the border. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Cow- cowboys patrolling the border, <clears throat> keeping those damn illegals out of our country. No? Is that not what's going on? That's what's going on. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> there's, 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 a, there's, I guess, Haitians uh, hiding under a bridge. Maybe okay. they're listening to too much uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. And what are they doing under that bridge? Why are they hiding there? Like, what's... Um, I actually, I don't know. It wasn't actually that interesting to me to find out, but, um, but I, I figured because, uh, there's so many other people that do care about it, that it would be, you know, worth, worth worthwhile talking about. Well, it's definitely topical. And I was, I was hoping KS would jump in. Cause he said, like, I want to talk about this. No, I just, well, uh, of all the things that are on the news, it's probably the, the thing that had my attention the most, but, uh, I mean, it doesn't. You're in charge of the show. You can be any topic you like. But this does, topic is of interest. Does, does anybody know how they got there? That's that begs the ultimate question, right? How did there, there Haitians was some, get to the border? There were some people that were claiming they had the answer for that, but I I didn't actually wake up early enough to find out. So, I think the speculation well, is that they're being imported, right? Somehow. To cause so, a crisis. So I heard they were actually in Mexico for a long time and that they were trying to get uh, asylum in, in Mexico or something. And then the government of Mexico just said, nah, just, just go, just go to the U.S. or something like that. Nice. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, <clears throat> the, the story I've heard is that they've, many of them left in 2014, um, after the catastrophe there of the earthquake, tsunami, cholera, all the um, devastating blow that Haiti had. Um, of course, many of them at that time tried to go north into, you know, to Florida, but were picked up and, and set back. Um, and then uh, they found it easier to go to Brazil. And from Brazil, Chile, Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, all the way up Central America. Um so this was a seven-year migration. It's been a very, very long. Okay. What's that? This was a seven-year migration then. Yeah. Not for a, like. For a lot of them. Okay. That's right. Why not 
I mean, I don't really care, but why not pick one of those other countries that they migrated through and reset up shop there, right? Like seven years of your life, you know, basically as a nomad versus, hey, we got out of Haiti. Let's see what Brazil has to offer us. Yeah. Um, well, frankly, I'm sure that every story is um, a unique story. And um, from my libertarian perspective, I would say, well, because they have a right to. That's why I came to Hawaii after going to Alaska, after moving to Washington, D.C., and moving to California, and moving to uh, going to Arizona, and starting off in, Arizona, in Colorado where I was born, because I had a right to. Sure. And I would say that uh, people make moves to improve their condition. Um, there are hospitable and inhospitable places uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, but from the um, point of view of that question that's often asked, why didn't they just stay there? Um, I don't know. I guess each, uh, each person's story is different. A lot of countries weren't very welcoming. I'd have to say that uh, fortunately for three million Colombians, when they were experiencing their war back and forth in Colombia, they were allowed to migrate to Venezuela 20 years ago when Venezuela was doing well. And um, as soon as things got better in Colombia and things got worse in Venezuela, not only did the three million Colombians return home, but then two million Venezuelans um, left Venezuela and came to not only Colombia, but they went to a lot of these other countries including the United States. So I would say that, uh, you know, people have friends or family. There are perhaps a lot of uh, Haitian friends and family that have been previously settled in the United States that okay. may have been a, a connection for them. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you on the because they have a right to part. It just, you know, I, I try to put myself in those shoes, right? And I go like seven years is a long time yeah. just, to be, just to be like a journeyman basically, right? With, you know, family in tow, right? There, There's like, uh, there's kids as part of this migration that were like infants or toddlers when it started. And so, so they've had like no sense of stability as far as, you know, the family home or the roof. Like that's... Yeah. And th there was a, a, a government representative saying that oh, they th these people had uh, stability in, in the government or in, in the country they came from in, in Haiti. And, and that, that's why they were being sent back. And I'm like, well, if you're, <laughs> you're going to go through all the trouble that they went through and now they're living under a bridge, obviously their life was pretty dire in Haiti um, to, to, want, to want to leave there. Right. So, right. Um, and yeah, that, that's why my question is like, how so dire was it in Brazil? Right. So, like, so people, yeah, people in, in, in our government are lying about the conditions that they were fleeing. And, and that's really sad. Um, um, yeah. Anyway, go on. No, no, that's, you know, I, that's, that's why I, that's why I question the length of the migration. Right. Because sure, sure. To, to, to me, if, the, if it's that dire in Haiti and I get that it probably was right. I wasn't there. I don't know my, I just know that he, they keep getting hit by a lot of bad stuff over the, throughout the years. Uh, like landing in Brazil to me would be like a weight off of the chest, right? Like, ha, huh, a, a breath of, you know, a, a sigh of relief, a breath of fresh air. And you go like, okay, we are no longer in that dire situation 
right? What can we do here? And, but then to keep going, right? Like across South America, up into Mexico to end up under a bridge uh, on the border of the United States to go like, was it that bad in Brazil? Right. Was it that bad in, 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 uh, what did you say? Chile, Peru, Mexico? Like, was it that bad? Was, was, I know how bad Haiti can be, but was it that bad upon landing in Brazil that, you know what, a bridge under, uh, under a bridge on the U S border is far surpasses what we had going on in Brazil. Um, yeah. And then, well, the one thing that they want to consider or that we would want to look at is, can they work? Sure. Uh, are they welcomed or are they not? You know, like a lot of these countries, I think uh, Colombia did uh, make an announcement, pass a law that said that the Venezuelan refugees would be allowed legal status for 10 years, which was tremendously welcome to them. And in a way they felt a brotherhood because Venezuelans had welcomed Colombians previously in such great numbers. I mean, when I say welcome, they really didn't have the kind of hostility, oh, you're taking our jobs and you're different, um, you're going to change our culture and all that sort of thing. Right. Um, but that attitude may still be pervasive in Brazil and Chile, where there, you know, you've still got to walk in with your passport, um, and you've got to get permission to work. You've got to, there's all kinds of rules and regulations. Okay. On top of the um, ethnic and racial and nationalistic um, hostility, you know, usually people think, ah, an immigrant, he's coming here for welfare, but he's going to take my job because he's going to be a, a, a better hire than I am. So, you know, they they fear him threatening their job at the same time as saying they're going to take take my welfare yeah and they don't realize the 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 uh, disconnect in their mind that it yeah you pick one yeah. right because it can't be both that's um, right yeah so basically what you're what you're saying otherwise though is that it's it could be a cultural thing but like it would be here it's more so that the governments the states in those states uh, are preventing <laughs> are preventing them from settling settling down settling in and restarting their life there because yeah, of immigration status or work visas or what what have you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Work status is probably the biggest issue. So government impedes it again. Over, immigrants overwhelmingly uh, are entrepreneurial. That's what motivates them. You know, they they there are a lot of they're very diligent and, and energetic uh, to move in the first place. In the United States, it's been uh, determined that immigrants are twice as likely to start a new job or um, as as a domestic um, as the American domestic population, the native population, and that's probably true of um, of immigrants and uh, from Haiti, if they're allowed to, you know. But if you get arrested and put in jail, lose your belongings uh, because you didn't have license, and pay the bribes, uh, then, right. then that's trouble. See, I generally I want to believe what you're saying, um, mm-hmm. but I I question it only so far as. They, you know, they, they say that you can either run towards something or run away from something else, right? And in, yeah. the, in the case of Haiti, I don't know if it's the entrepreneurial spirit where they're running towards, like the great life that the, the uh, American system will afford them, welfare or not, or if they're running away from, you know, the disaster that is currently going on in Haiti, right? Like all the, you know, the, the Afghan refugees, that are flooding the external borders when the Taliban took over, right? Like, I don't know if those are the most entrepreneurial Afghans, right? It's just mm-hmm. like, we've got to get away, and so we're going to go here because 
who knows what's here, but we already know we're going to die here. Right. So I don't know, you know, it's, how do I want to put this? It's, it's not like, uh, professional migrants, right. coming with, with their, with their education and their doctorates, right. Coming over going like, no, no, I, I can ply my trade and have my skills valued more if I move here rather than there. Um, it's, it's, it's escapism. And in a lot of times escapism from foreign policies from other nations. Uh, just this morning, uh, before our session, I had a session with the um, Jonathan Gelbel International Readers Group, where people from uh, Uganda and Korea and uh, you know all around the world are are talking about the issue. And this immigration topic came up on this one as well. And one thing that was mentioned by the people in Uganda is that the U.S. government, through the United Nations, is providing a lot of money for the Ugandans to host. Afghan ref- refugees. Now you could say, well, wait a minute, um, isn't the United States a lot more capable of handling Afghan ref- refugees, especially since they bear such responsibility for their... Yeah, but the United States situation? don't want them. That's right, exactly. They would rather pay a bundle of money to some Ugandan um, uh, kleptocrat to host them. He looks good, although he's raking off a big chunk for himself. Sure, establishing these camps with his cronies. So they're raking it off as well. And, um, you know, the local population, they're sort of uh, resentful, not about the Afghans, but about how their government cared so little about their situation in their own country before. And now suddenly even placing Afghan refugees in better housing than the Ugandan population. And, um, you know, so they, they see it for what it is. They, it's a, um, a rich country desiring not to contaminate their own soil with uh, foreigners and they'll pay a bundle of money to the Uganda government to get them to host them. Well, for how long? You know, they set up these camps. They don't allow them to work. So the camps are going to be there forever. But the Ugandan government doesn't care because, well, I got my money. When um, When the money runs out, then we'll... We'll just abandon them. You know, what are they going to do? So that's uh, another case of it. And, and well, you know, cases are endless about how uh, I, I, my heart really goes out to migrants around the world. You know, when you think of what incredible guts it takes to escape from North Korea into very likely uh, sex slave China, uh, for years, as happened with Yeonmi Park and so many thousands of North Korean women. And it's not just in China where they're um, trafficked like this. The, the, the primary driver of the whole trafficking world is government uh, legal barriers, not only on migration, but on, on work for legitimate means. Sure. So it has consequences. So do, do you think that there would be more local sympathy towards migrants? A huge consequence in what? What? What's that? MC? I can't hear anything. Uh-oh. Some technical difficulties with MC. I'm here. Okay. I'll just, I'll pose my question and MC can figure out what he's, what's going on with his headset. Um, I was saying that, do you, do you think that there might be more sympathy or empathy from the local population if it if these migrants weren't running away from their own situation, right? Like if they were migrating to 
um, if the, if they were more the entrepreneurial minded migrants, right, coming into the country, be you know, because hey, this place is so great, I want to contribute to this society, and the government allowed that. Do you think that they would there would be less hostility towards migrants than hey, they're refugees and we need to take them in because we blew up their country? I missed the first part of your question. Would it be would there be more sympathy if what if 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 it was known that these migrants were of the entrepreneurial mindset? Right. If they were like, you know, I, I did well in my country. I'm going to come do well in your country. I'm not here for the welfare. I'm here for the better opportunities as opposed to, hey, some other country blew mine up and now I need some place to go. Like would, would, would host countries and, and locals be more welcoming of migrants if, if that status was known, do you think? I don't think so. I think, uh, well, it would depend on the person. If you're, if you're wanting to hire people because you see them as a huge labor market, then yes, but the people that have far more clout are the ones who are already in business and they, they see everyone coming in from the outside as a threat because they're a competitive. People say that they champion competition, but they don't. They say they champion the free market, but they don't. You know, they, um, and that's pervasive. Republicans, Democrats, uh, you know, across the political spectrum, um, they want competition for the other guy, but not for themselves. So what do you think it would take then for host countries or host cultures to be more welcoming of migrants? Because they're, 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 to, they're going to compete for something, right? They're, they're going to compete for the same jobs that are available. They might create new jobs. Um, they're, going to, you know, they're, they're going to uh, compete for the same welfare, right, if, you're, if your state is set up as a welfare state. So what, yeah. what could you do to what, – what, what can a host culture do to be more welcoming of migrants, well, I, th- I well, in the case of uh, Colombia and Venezuela, actually, they were uh, welcoming to each other because I think they generally considered them brothers. I mean, they were of a common country years ago before they split between those the two countries, and they they have a lot of common language, common culture, common religion, common uh, long time relations for for years. So history and all that that makes it easier for them. For others, I think it's a sense of competitiveness. China opened up yeah. the most massive migration, internal migration, from Western China to Eastern China. 240 million people were allowed to migrate uh, in the last 30 years. And uh, it was probably, it's estimated that it is responsible for 20 to 30% of their economic prosperity and growth because they allowed people to go from areas of low productivity to the eastern seaboard and the free economic zones were of, of tremendously high uh, economic productivity. Now, a lot of those people still didn't get permission to live there. I mean, they had to live on the fringes of society without uh, the huko, the, the, the permission to live there and get a house and get a, uh, a job. And so they lived uh, as the workforce, the migrant workforce, but still very, very prosperous, starting up a lot of businesses and, and enterprise. And, and China allowed that because they were determined to be competitive on the international stage. They knew that it was essential to the country itself becoming very prosperous. And that's the one thing that's definitely proven by migration. Migration improves your productivity a lot. You have a tremendous labor force that can multiply its productivity by tenfold by moving one place to another. So if a country feels threatened competitively, the policy might shift just accepting it as a necessary 
evil in their view um, to be to be able to compete internationally. And the U.S. has always been at the top. So, I mean, has always had such prosperity because of immigration. But they don't feel that that competitive uh, sense. They would just as soon use protectionism to shield themselves from international competition. Sure, that's one thing. After the the Biden administration came in, one might have thought it would have had a very different attitude about protectionism from Trump, but it didn't at all. He didn't remove any of the of the trade barriers. He didn't remove any of the uh, well, any but a very small number of the migration barriers. He's just as protectionist, if not more so, than Trump. Okay. Now, this this topic of migration, immigration, and what it can do for the local economy uh, came up at uh, the the Liberty Meetup that I w- attended this past Tuesday. Like it was it was part of the the table conversation for dinner, and it came up because hey, New Hampshire has is has secession in the works, uh, likely to fail, but still shit made it further than any other uh, past attempt at it just about anywhere in the country aside from the civil war. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's an extraordinary case, but I, you know, it's, it's being pushed and New Hampshire. I just, I just Googled the population is currently about 1.36 million people. Right. And the question was like, well, if New Hampshire secedes, should we open up the borders and what would happen you know, if all of a sudden a million people tried to cross the border, right, and and doubled the population, and you know, like, great, great, it would be like a Hong Kong. I mean, that's what Hong Kong did. They were, um, they took the best and brightest of China and Vietnam, and they made a fantastic prosperity there in the most densely populated city in the world. People loved to go there and travel and all that. I mean, it, it turned into a veritable. Um, cornucopia of, pro- of prosperity you know and uh so new hampshire has that same prospect possibly um and i th- i think th- as far as the conversation went at dinner i think it's the the difference between like a long-term outlook on things and a short-term outlook on things because the counterpoint at dinner was well all of a sudden right if you if, you, if that happens overnight right all of a sudden the grocery stores have have to have to feed twice as many people, right? And either there's going to be immediate shortages or immediate price hikes, and that's not good for anybody, right? And I go, well, that's you know that that scenario is highly unlikely, right? That you know within a day, right, or a week or whatever, that you know the population would double immediately, just overnight, just like that, you know, twice as many people, um, but that. If done over time, right, if it's a trickling in of immigrants, um, then it's a lot easier for the supply chain to catch up. And if you don't have a strong welfare state in place, like as you said, KS, that those immigrants will will be, you know, be will be forced to add value uh, to the economy by adding their productivity to the to the overall state. Yeah, yeah. So to I be so to be concerned, human beings are yeah. extremely adaptable to. I mean, look what what they do. I mean, uh, they they say, okay, the hurricane Ida or Hurricane Katrina was devastating to New Orleans, and it took a couple of weeks to get back to. Well, that would take a couple of weeks for the for the people to accommodate to the fact that there was a massive increase of uh, demand for food. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
Massive yeah. increase. Like I, stores, I couldn't get my, yeah. Stores would love that, and they would, I mean, Costco. Costco would be, you know, placing orders by the, by the you know, the thousands to get additional supplies. Walmart would, too. Sam's Club, they'd all be so eager to have more customers. Yeah. And then they would be hiring a lot of more people, too. Absolutely. And that, that again, that was kind of my point. So I, I'm glad we're in agreement uh, that it's, 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 an, it's a short term outlook to say that it's going to have a negative impact because yes, you know, all of a sudden the shelves might be bare, but it's not like they're not going to be restocked. Right. It's, you know, it's not like the, the stores won't figure it out um, that, Hey, we've got more customers to serve now. Let's, let's, you know, let's do what we can to accommodate that because if look they what, if they do, they'll get the more profitability as well. At Christmas time, people are always considered an opportunity by business. They put in, they open up more registers and hire more, you know, uh, clerks and all seasonal staff. The customers. Yeah, right at Christmas time, and it, it soars twenty five percent increase uh, of um, of uh, uh, you know customers at at Christmas time, and they they manage because they 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 want to. Government yeah. doesn't adjust at all. Notice they're always saying it's such a crisis at the border. Well, it's not a crisis. It, it's a because it, well, it's a burden to the state if they all come that's in right. and, and leech they, off the welfare system. They say, well, you know, we've got we we insist that they do this paperwork. We insist that they go to um, through this process. You know, it's like a, a DMV, the D- Department of Motor Vehicles. They don't adjust to the to the number of people who want uh, licenses and so on. Yep. They um, they just say, well, this is the bureaucrat that we've got standing uh, at the at the gate. We're not going to increase the size of the gate, add more entrances or more personnel, or, and 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 we have more things to check rather than fewer things. I mean, what what do you, what do you have to check about a yeah. you know a five year old kid coming in? <laughs> you know, it. I maybe I'm, I'm spoiled at this point because I don't I don't spend much time at the DMV. But also, when I'm like third in line at the grocery store, I'm already like looking around, like, aren't they going to open yeah, up another exactly. line? Like, yeah, what the hell right. is going on? Are they are they understaffed? <laughs> like, their supervisors supposed to notice that there's more than three people in line here and get another register open to process this through. And that's the process throughout the marketplace. Whenever there's a long line, long wait, you can bet that the government has stepped in with some kind of intervention that makes the the wait longer. It's the same thing with doctors. You know, you go into a doctor's office, and um, and you have a long wait. Well, you've got a, an American Medical Association, which has restricted the number of doctors. Yep. And uh, uh, the, the same thing is is pervasive wherever. In fact, there have been studies. I don't know them offhand, but there have been studies that have seen where what's the wait time to get service, and each of the ones with long wait times has always been where there's the greatest government intervention. Yep, and Hawaii, and, and I believe Hawaii was facing that amidst the COVID crisis as well, right? Where it was, you know, the the hospitals were full, uh, mostly because of government restrictions on the ab- uh, ability to open up new facilities. Yeah, yeah, the, the 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 Kaiser wanted to open up another hospital over in Maui, and they said, "Oh no, you have to have a certificate of need, which has to be approved of by the existing hospital." Yeah, that they need competition. Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, um, the Hilo Sampan was my best example years ago. They offered, offered, um, you know, bus service, van service for customers on the big island. They had nothing but taxis, but the public utilities commission shut them down saying, where's your certificate of need from the taxi drivers saying that there's a need for your service and they couldn't get it. The legal battle was so great that they just shut it down. 
Now, okay, so let me ask you this. Maybe you have, I'm just going to throw this out there. Maybe you know. Uh, with the COVID crisis, though, have there been applications approved? Because no better time than now to put those applications in because that that need is quite evident all of a sudden. The need for... For more facilities. Mean, for treatment? No, oh, no yeah, for more yeah. facilities. Like yeah, may, maybe would, pre-COVID, you couldn't get a certificate of need because competitors would be like, eh, no, we, we got it covered. But now with like, oh, our beds are full and people are being turned away at the door. Like, hey, how about that certificate of need? So we can, you know, even if it's not going to open for five years or whatever while they build the thing, uh, at, at least they got the, the ball rolling and, the, and the, the certificate of need in place to facilitate it. You know, I can't think of a time ever where the necessity of the public caused a uh, politician or a bureaucrat to question the necessity of his um, task of okay. approval and restriction. I, I, I mean, maybe during wartime when they say, oh, hey, get out of the way or else we're going to be blown up by the enemy. But I, I, I don't think crisis ever motivates okay. politicians or bureaucrats to say, oh, what I'm doing is unnecessary. <laughs> so you're saying even now with all the hospitals full, they're not, they're not even open to the idea of, of building new facilities just in case yeah, this happens look at, in the look future? Look at what they do. Um, MC has pointed out endlessly about how the, uh, there are treatments, preparatory treatments uh, that could help people mitigate their con- condition so they don't have to go into the hospital in the first place. The government hasn't stood out of the way of all those preparatory treatments. They've, they've if anything, um, increased the obstacles. They, they, in fact, tell doctors who prescribe these um, alternative uh, preparatory treatments um, we will remove their drive, their their medical license. Uh, they're they're threatening them. Um, Just recently, um, actually, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, they, uh, the government, I think it was the FDA, uh, went after Amazon and well, pretty much all companies. They're actually removing uh, a supplement called NAC uh, from the shelves. Okay, and from from Amazon, um, this is a very safe supplement to take it's uh it helps with uh getting rid of colds basically it's a expectorant it it helps clear your lungs um and they're removing it from the shelves and so that makes me want you know really think oh it must it must actually work yeah if they're going out of their way to you know threaten amazon to get them to remove nac from from their shelves. What are they using and as their justification for that? What are they saying is? I don't. Know, I don't even know. They they just told them just to do it, or else we'll come up with some other reason to do it, or come else come after you. Like no, yeah. no adverse effects, no adverse symptoms. Just holy crap, no, this they, is working. Okay, they haven't even really talked about it publicly. They just they just went ahead and uh, no, we don't like this. So there's conspiracy theories about why. Sure. Um, I haven't even heard of this. This is new. Oddly enough, news <laughs> to me. So I, just, I, I did buy, there's still some places online you can buy NAC. Um, I don't know if they have it at Vitamin Shop. I'm going to, I actually want to go down there and check it out. Okay. But, um, what does it stand for? Just so, I'm uh, it's, it's a weird chemical name. Okay. I don't worry about it then. Um, yeah. So NAC is the easy way to uh, say it. But um, I've actually taken it before. It, it didn't really do that much for me. Um, but, you know, it's, it's so safe and it doesn't have many effects at all, so um, there's no reason it should be banned for sure. Yeah. So if you yeah. took it as a daily so, supplement for whatever reason, you, it wouldn't right. have an adverse effect. It's it's been it's been on shelves and been at 
you know, any anywhere that sells vitamins would have NAC. Until now. Until now. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's only because some people are saying it's effective, uh, you know, somewhat at, you know, preventing uh, serious complications with COVID. Was that so, a big, did Joe Rogan say that? Was it part of like his? No, it wasn't. Okay. It was actually on, uh, uh, me, uh, what, uh, Crowder. What's his, what's Louder his with Crowder? Louder with Crowder. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So that's where I, and I, ah. I heard about it. I heard about it two weeks ago, but I was just like, eh, I, I'm not taking NAC anyways. So I don't really care. So conservative uh, news outlet or commentary outlet, all of a sudden pitches a different treatment plan. And the liberal bias steps in and says, no, you can't. <laughs> you must get the vaccine. So the, the conspiracy theory is, is that they know it works and they're actually trying to make a drug uh, using the same thing and then they can... Uh, With patent the patent, yeah. And, yeah. But I don't know how they can limit other people from using NAC that's been on the market for, you know, forever. I mean... Look, it's super when, cheap. It's like $5 a bottle of 100 pills. Be, because they're the state, they're in control, and they can do what they want. I, you, you know that. How can they do such a thing? Because they're the state, they have the guns, they're in control. Yeah. I was... Uh, it, it, would, it would be like, it, it, oh, we're going to ban vitamin C now. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> this well, don't is, say this that out insane. loud. They may do that. This is <laughs> an insane world we're living in. Well, they, they already say that you can't say vitamin C cures scurvy, right? Even though it does. <laughs> but, you can't, but you can't make that claim legally if you're selling a vitamin C product. Yeah. So that, that's, there's definitely a problem. Cure is a legal term. With people assuming that uh, legal means good. Um, yeah. There's, there's a problem in people's brain that, that, that says, uh, well, it's the, the belief in authority, really. And that's, I'm, try, I'm trying to connect legal with authority, and th those things are wrong. <laughs> yeah. I was, at a, I was at an instructor training last week Sunday for another one of my uh, firearms instructor classes. And there was a, a, it was during one of the breaks, and I was having a conversation with one of the instructor candidates. And he was talking about, like, how he is so offended um, when, like, he sees on the news that, you know, gun enthusiasts show up in protest with their AR slung over their chest, you know, and their helmets and their vests on, you know. And, and he's like, it just does so much damage to the gun community. And I go, well, <laughs> you know, I want, I want to be polite, but I want to disagree, right? Because in my mind, I was like, you show up in full kit. Because you have to let those people in charge, the state, the government, know that you were ready, willing, and able to defend your rights, right? And, and you know, like, they, can't, they can only aggress so much before there's going to be serious pushback and their, like, their health and safety and lives are then on the line. Like, that's my philosophy. Uh, and he said something like, well, why would they want to do that? And I, you know, I said, like, because the state is trying to kill you, man. Like I, you know, like, I don't know how you don't see this. The state is trying to kill you. And he goes, no, they're not. And it was that moment that the instructor like stepped and goes, oh yeah, they are. They, they absolutely are. And so, so, uh, I, I, I follow the instructor like on Facebook and he's not, he's definitely conservative. I don't know if I call him conspiratorial, but he definitely like leans in that direction. So, you know, to, for him to come out and like, just outright say like, no, no, no. Right, like I may not show up at a at a protest event wearing that stuff, 
but you can best be, you can rest assured that I have all that equipment in my truck, like ready to go. You know, if, if the shit hits the fan and I have my truck, like the shit's hitting the fan and I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> so, and he's like, you know, they're, they're communists and they're absolutely trying to kill you. Uh, yeah. Uh, look, every, every mass starvation, mass killing off the population, right. Is preceded by taking the guns away, right? Like that's, that's the pattern of events. And so, to show up at a, at a protest in full kit is to very clearly say, come and take it, right? You are not going to just let, I'm not going to just hand these over for you. We're going to fight. Uh, and so the state is definitely trying to kill you. So when you go, when they're taking away supplements, right? With, with, with dubious, like health, you know, with, with, you know, dubious health uh, deficiencies, I guess, because the benefits are there, but you know, there doesn't seem to be a lot of negative aspects of it. It's because they're definitely trying to kill you, man. Like, why? If the if if health was the the goal and the reason for all of this nonsense, right? Then all courses of action should be on the table, right? Ivermectin may or may not work. Take it at your own risk. It seems to work for some. Maybe that would be you, right? Vitamin D and exercise seems to work for some. Do it at your own risk. Maybe it'll work for you, right? You want to mask up and get the vaccine. It's worked for some. Right, maybe it'll work for you. Now, there's, you know, there, there's, and there's a whole bunch of adverse reactions to that stuff too. That's the that's the most bizarre thing about this in, entire situation, uh, is that regardless of what side you're on, there is anecdotal evidence that you are correct, right? So, and just for other people who are listening, um, the the other major reason people take NAC is because it's really good for your liver, and so you know people that drink alcohol should take NAC. Like even if you're just drinking one drink a day, you should take NAC. So ironically, that's probably why you find it at vitamin shop then. Not for the alcoholics, but but, but for like, you know, the the gym rats, the muscle heads, you know, the bodybuilders. <laughs> because yeah, taking all the other chemicals that are bad for the liver. <laughs> right. Like I rem- I remember watching like a Ronnie Coleman documentary uh, at one point and he had like a fucking tackle box of all the vitamins and supplements that he took on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. It's like, I take this for this, then I take this for this. And then like at the very end, it's like, and I take this to clean up my liver. You know, it's like, Jesus, dude. Like, I get it. You know, you, you made a whole bunch of money and now you walk on crutches. I don't know if it was worth it, but hey, eight time Mr. Olympia. Um, but yeah, if it, if, it, if it has that health benefit, then yeah, I can definitely see why you'd find it at a vitamin shop all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, and for alcoholics or whomever might have complications with 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 their liver, good, good, take it, right? If if it's harmful, maybe it's not harmful for you. Try it, see see how you react to it. There's a weird. I don't have it as a as show prep, but there was a weird headline of a lady or a guy I can't remember who uh, allegedly was overdosing on ivermectin, right? Like, <laughs> okay, hear me out. She, she went to the hospital, he or she, I don't know. I'm just going to say she, cause I don't remember. She went to the hospital with, you know, um, with some ailments, let's say. And they, you know, they did the thing, they ran some tests and they go like, man, you're taking too much ivermectin. We're going to cut you off of the ivermectin. And she went, no, that's my, that's my treatment for COVID. Like I must take the ivermectin. And she's basically filing a lawsuit against them. And I think she won right where she was supposed to allow to continue her course of of ivermectin from the hospital even though the test that they ran said nope too much 
Like we can't, you know, not not healthy to take this volume of it. Uh, but she's she sued and won that they should have allowed her to continue her own course of treatment and and give her the ivermectin. How do you feel about that? Should she be whatever? She, yeah. Should she be allowed? Absolutely, she should be allowed. Um, you know, as as long as you can afford it and you can get it right, you should be allowed to take it. Um, but it's just it's a it's a weird scenario that you know because and it's probably because she falls on one side of the political spectrum more so than the other, right? That the only course of action that was plausible for her for you know the 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 keeping off the covids uh, was ivermectin, and then she just went totally uh, off the rails on how much she was taking. Mm-hmm. So what do you do, right? What do you let do if do you're it. the hospital? You can't you just let him die. Of course. Okay. KS, let him die. <laughs> I there there might be other things you can do. Maybe uh, have her bring in some family and explain to them that uh, well, she's probably going to die um, if she keeps doing this. If she continues her own course of treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe there could be an intervention, but. You know, if if she's kind of a loner and and she's you know very uh, stubborn, then you know it's like I don't know. I'm I'm uh, of course uh, a proponent of personal responsibility, and that's you know that that's it. I mean, you you can't tell somebody what they can have in their body. It's, uh, you shouldn't be able insane. to, but they're doing it. It's insane to think otherwise. To me, yeah, it is insane. Um, let's jump back to this uh, border crisis briefly because there was. We, 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 you know, as we typically do, we've kind of ventured off from what we normally, what we originally started talking about, which is fine. It's the nature of the show. Uh, but these, these Haitians at the border, right, were allegedly getting whipped by border patrol on horseback. Mm-hmm. And then, so you've got one side going like, look at these uh, brutal border patrol guards on their horses whipping these Haitian migrants. And then you got the other side going like, well, look at the picture from a different angle. Um, that's a rain. That's how you steer a horse. He's not whipping him. He's just, he's twirling his rein is what you do with the reins, right? You, you twirl it for whatever reason. And then well, they had, they had the some kind of stick too, I think, uh, or a, you know, a, uh, a thing that's used for, I mean, I've, I've been looking at the pictures of that on the website and there's, um, it, it's not just the reins of the horse that he's got. Okay. It's uh, yeah, there's some kind of prod that they're using to push pe- push at people when they're. Yeah, I have I have no doubt to... that they're not being nice to the Haitians. Well, and that's that's part of what I wanted to get at is they may not be whipping them, right? And if you even if you accept that they're not being whipped with whips or being you know uh, assaulted with the reins, uh, th- those pictures that were making the rounds were still of Haitians being terrorized at the border Mm -hmm. by United States border control. And I think that fact is being glossed over simply because the left and the right want to fight over whether or not they were being whipped. Yeah. So my comment on that is, is I think it's controlled opposition. So if you can get, if you can get people arguing about something that actually isn't a thing, then you can't get to the root of the argument and you can't have a valid discussion and then nothing gets solved. Yeah. Well, and I, I, and I think that's what I'm, what I'm suggesting as well is they're talking about something so insignificant rather than talking about, Hey, um, 
why are they under the bridge, right? Why aren't, yeah. you know, why aren't they and, just being let in? What can we discuss the immigration policy that would allow refugees to come in, you know, and not get and on me, welfare? The, it's the same exact thing as having the argument about whether masks work or not. It's completely sidesteps the issue of, well, what does work? And that's why I always say vitamin D, quercetin, zinc, you know, <laughs> like the, if, no, if everybody was taking no, those, only the vaccine, the vaccine only, is the only course of action and, and masks and social dis- distancing, those things, you know, and, and, and obviously, uh, everywhere, those, the, the three main things that have been tried are the highest, uh, spreaders of COVID at the moment. So whether or not people are, are, are dying in greater numbers or not is not really my point, but, um, it's certainly not stopping the spread. And I think, Instead, if everybody was put on a course of vitamin D, quercetin, and zinc, I think we'd have lower numbers. Yeah, probably. But again, you know, you get you get the government intervening, and they're the one size fits all approach, right? So whether it's COVID or migrants at the border, right? Then you know we we must protect the borders, uh, and so border border guards on horseback, whipping or not whipping. Uh, Haitians is not really the issue. It's why are there guys on borders? Why are there borders to begin with? And why not just let them freely cross um, for a better life for themselves, however they choose to to see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I've got this article that I did have for show prep, just in case, you know, we didn't actually get into this particular topic. Um, and it's, it goes over what, what's going on, um, uh, with the, with the Haitian migrants, but I think the, the title of the article and the actual text covers it a little bit more than just this one specific issue. So, headline. Are you guys ready? Headlines? Headlines? Yeah. Ready. All right, good. good. All right, headline. Brutal treatment of asylum seekers is the reality of government, and that's why its role in our lives should be reduced to the minimum uh, from, re- from reason. And again, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Haitian thing. So if it's, if it's redundant, I apologize, but it's part of the, it's part of the overall article. Uh, members of President Joe Biden's own political party are unhappy with him over the brutal treatment of Haitian refugees at the U.S. border. Scenes of government agents on horseback pushing black men, women, and children, and allegedly striking some with their reins elicited understandable cries of outrage and distancing from the action by the White House itself. But these displays of righteous indignation over the events in Del Rio, Texas, are a little rich coming from people who usually applaud an activist state. (laughs) If you want a government that does a lot, it's going to do it good and hard, and somebody will inevitably get hurt. Uh, Quote, I urge President Biden and Secretary Mayorkas to immediately put a stop to these expulsions and to end this Title 42 policy at our southern border, unquote, Senator Charles Schumer of New York criticized the administration with regards to the public health authority under which migrants are being turned away at the border. Quote, we cannot continue these hateful and xenophobic trunk policies that disregard our refugee laws. We must allow asylum seekers to present their claims at our ports of entry and be afforded due process, unquote. A uh, quote from a different, uh, from Maxine Waters. I'm not just unhappy with the cowboys who are running down Haitians and using their reins to whip them. I'm unhappy with the administration, com- uh, commented uh, Representative Maxine Waters. We were wit- we, what we witnessed takes us back hundreds of years. What we witnessed was worse than what we witnessed in slavery. 
she added, uh, in what can only hope was an exercise in hyperbole and not a display of her <laughs> historical knowledge. <laughs> exactly. Biden's nominal politics, uh, Biden's nominal political allies may try to link the border policies to the last administration, but they've been defended and extended by the current occupant of the White House. Relief came only from a court injunction scheduled to take effect within days on the grounds that, despite its appeal to Title 42, the federal government has no authority to expel those seeking asylum. The president and his allies likely wish the injunction had come sooner before millions of people saw video footage of border agents confronting refugees. As it is, the White House finds itself backpedaling from enforcement of its own policies. We've watched the photos of Haitians gathering under a bridge, many with families, and their horrific video of the CPB officers on horse, on horses using brutal and inappropriate measures against innocent people, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki intoned on Wednesday in response to questions about the scenes. So as it relates to those photos and that horrific video, we're not going to stand for that kind of inhumane treatment. But if Saki, the president she serves, and the, their allies are truly horrified by the scenes from the border, it's fair to ask what they thought expulsion of refugees was going to look like. <laughs> After all, District Judge Emmett Sullivan's injunction was based in part on recognition that refugees trying to enter the country, quote, face real threats of violence and persecution if they were to be removed from the United States, unquote. With that to look forward to, are they really expected to turn away with a shrug when officials invoke public health concerns as justification for sending asylum seekers off to their fates? For that matter, what do Schumer and Waters think law enforcement in general looks like, whether it's at the border or in cities and towns in the United States? Only weeks ago, Waters praised the administration for extending a since-voided ban on landlords evicting non-paying tenants. Schumer has pushed for tougher laws against everybody from robocallers to limousine drivers. Both are big fans of turning government power against gun owners. It's unlikely that these two very enthusiastic makers of laws intend for their legislative wishes to be enforced with nothing more than strong words. That's the problem with politicians and their supporters who decry the undeniable brutality inherent in the enforcement of laws and policies they don't like while calling for state intervention in other areas of life. Whether or not it's ultimately captured on video, enforcement requires violence by state agents against members of the public. All too often, that involves breaking into people's homes, dragging them off to filthy and dangerous jails, and then coercing them into guilty pleas. Quote, on the opening day of law school, I always counsel my first-year students never to support a law they are not willing to kill to enforce. Unquote. Yale, <laughs> Yale Who's law. the author of this? Uh, Reason Magazine is the author, J.D. Tussil. I guess, I don't know how to say that. Is the, oh, uh, uh, Jerome Tussil. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, lost my spot as I scrolled up there. Sorry. Know. That's okay. Uh, that, that quote was from Yale law professor Stephen L. Carter uh, in 2014. Uh, quote again, usually they greet this advice with something between skepticism and puzzlement until I remind them that the police go armed to enforce the will of the state and if you resist, they might kill you, unquote. The Haitian refugees in Del Rio capture the sympathy of many people because it's obvious what they're resisting. Expulsion to a country that was a mess even before it was struck by a crippling earthquake in August. Uh, quote, 
I will not be associated with the United States' inhumane, counterproductive decision to deport thousands of Haitian refugees and illegal immigrants to Haiti, a country where American officials are confined to secure compounds because of the dangers posed by armed gangs in control of daily life, unquote. Daniel Foote protested this week as he resigned his position as special envoy to Haiti. To the extent that some refugees are being admitted to the United States despite official policy, Violent action against them looks not just cruel, but arbitrary. The luck of the draw might get them safety or trampled. So, so true. I mean, uh, some of them were sent back, and then some were let in. And so what a, what a moment of, of bad luck for some. <laughs> yeah. But the heavy hand of the state is always applied in an arbitrary fashion, with many forever successfully evading laws, the enforcement of which destroy the lives of others. That people who are well-connected and powerful can simply ignore rules that are harshly inflicted on those with less clout makes the brutal nature of enforcement even more infuriating. It's good that politicians are outraged by the brutal treatment of refugees seeking asylum in the United States. It's encouraging that the Biden administration is still capable of being embarrassed by video footage of the treatment. But we'd be better served if those officials conceded that such brutality is always the reality of law enforcement and the reason why its role in people's lives should be reduced to the minimum end of the article. So I want, I don't know if I want to make this a point, uh, the, the nuance, because all of a sudden we're not just talking about immigrants. We're talking about asylum seekers, right? As if one is okay. And one is still off limits, right? If, if you want to be an illegal immigrant, still bad, right? But if you want to, if you're seeking asylum, all of a sudden, well, we can talk about that. Your thoughts. Yeah, your wor words are everything in terms of the emotion behind all this stuff. That's why I've always braced, uh, recoiled at this distinction between the political refugee and the economic refugee. Excuse me, any refugee is both an economic refu refugee and a political refugee. There's nobody that comes across the border looking for a job that isn't seeking a better political environment because the politics of the place they're leaving has made it impossible to have a job. You know, so... And, and, and I, I make the point, too, that, that the slave who ran away from uh, a plantation in the antebellum south, um, well, he was both an economic refugee and a political refugee. It was the political system that, that uh, enslaved him. Do you so, think refugee is a better term? Like, should we steer the narrative to call them all refugees in some form or fashion the best we can? Well, if you're trying to build sympathy for the person coming, then yes, refugee is good. Asylum seeker is, you know, is, is helpful. Um, uh, the worst is alien, um, you know, because there's always these... Well, illegal alien. About aliens. Well, yeah, illegal alien, yeah, because, okay, then there's the legal alien. But, you know, all the movies and books about aliens are about hideous monsters from outer space that are bent on over, overthrowing humanity. And the fact that that's the still the official term for someone that's coming from another, from across the border is is frightening because it, it raises all those xenophobic uh, fears. So definitely that's that's the worst, the alien. Uh, I don't like the idea of of um, I, I prefer undocumented to illegal, um, and I'm sure that's why somebody came up with that that term, you know, undocumented rather than illegal because of the connotations of illegal. It sounds like you're already a criminal. Yeah. Just seeking, and you haven't done anything, any damage to any other person. Um, 
just like the person smoking pot doesn't it's illegal but it doesn't uh, make that their actions as immoral or wrong it just means that somebody else has passed a law against it yeah i'm more i'm more okay with it from the libertarian standpoint because i i would also like to be undocumented as much as possible <laughs> yeah yeah right, right. Like that's that is a goal to strive for right and it's like the, the government doesn't know i exist and leaves me alone because they don't have the documents best. on me yeah yeah that's right that's right but even in the minds of the general populace, right, even when you say undocumented, you know, they're like, well, what are they trying to get away with, right? Yeah, yeah, why, don't, yeah. why don't they right. just go get their papers like everybody else? So better still is probably just the term migrant, a person who's moving from one place to another. But um, we don't say that with regard to a, a business traveler or a tourist. We say they're business traveler or a tourist. So, and, and actually, we call coyotes, um, um, actually, they're just... Uh, undocumented travel agents and they yes. charge high, much higher fees. Uh, I mean, when I, I, I traveled down to, um, uh, Columbia this summer and it cost me, you know, you know, a few hundred dollars to, to, to fly there and back. Um, it was so easy for me and, and then for somebody from Haiti to do their journey over how many years, uh, it cost them many times that. In fact, I, I know some Chinese who, came by way of Ecuador, uh, they had to get tens of thousands of dollars uh, together to pay the travel agents uh, to bring them there. And then they had to work their way for years going up the, um, through Central America. And then finally they came to Hawaii. They finally got asylum because at that point in time, the United States was uh, angry with uh, China because of the uh, Tiananmen Square and they were given, and, and they had more than one child, which at that time allowed asylum on the basis of um, you know, political persecution in China. And they, these are all, again, as you say, so, so arbitrary. Yeah. And yet um, it, it cost thousands of dollars that they had to borrow from family and friends with the hope that they could pay it back. Many of them weren't able to, but this person was. He was able to start up tremendous businesses, his construction business, he owns the businesses, employs dozens of people, building dozens of houses. He paid off everybody back in China. His family's here and growing and nice. well as situated in in uh, college and uh, going off to great careers. All of that was a great story and far more risk to their lives than my simple just traveling across the border. Yeah. That That's uh, really, another in- intriguing concept um, that you know happens in the world is like, you know, some passports are better than others. Oh yeah, right, right. Like right. it's supposed to be like, hey, this is my country of origin, so now I can I can go abroad, right? And even <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's even if you ignore the wartime history and the the fact that it was supposed to be a temporary measure, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you ignore that, you go like, well, I've I am from here, right? I would like to go there for a little bit, right? And then, and but depending on what how strong your passport national- is, yeah. If you have that national passport, then you, then you're smeared with the, all the policies of the government officials that were in charge of that country for years. You know, it's like, no, I had nothing to do with those policies in Haiti or U.S. or the Soviet Union or anything like that. I'm just a human being. Oh, but wanting to go sorry, from here to there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Just let me. I, I'm here. I would like to go there, either temporary or permanently. Right. Just. Allow, mm-hmm. please, please, Mr. Government Agent, Mr. State, allow me to go from here to there. It seems so ridiculous conceptually and yet accepted, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's. I think the people who enter into employment in immigration offices are the most perverted people. They enjoy the power over the powerless. They seem to feel that they are the gatekeepers for all of the blessings of a free society, and they can deny it to people. Yeah, and they in, enjoy that denial. And I to and the the, the, tr- the I've seen the rude treatment that they give towards people that they don't even treat as a, as if human beings. Yeah, um, with no courtesy, no no respect that they would treat towards their they give better treatment to their dog than they would to the uh, immigrant standing before them. And and the arbitrariness of which those rules are passed down, right? Like I knew uh, I knew a girl in when I was living in Hawaii. Um, she was like a customer that used to come in to um, the place that I worked on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and she was like living in Hawaii, uh, originally from Germany, right? But like maintained travel in like four different countries. So she would bounce between uh, the U.S., like Hawaii and New York, and then Canada. Australia and Germany because she couldn't stay in one place for an extended period of time, except Germany, right? Cause she's, that's where <laughs> her, her origin was, but not where she wanted to be. So every once in a while she had to like take a trip, you know, to, to, mm-hmm. to go to Canada to like, you know, renew that one so that she could travel back to Canada. But Canada also gave her an out so she could leave the United States for long enough to, to reset the, you know, the, the, the requirement to come back into the United States later. Um, and I'm pretty sure it also made it difficult to like hold down a full time job, right? Without getting yeah. you know full full uh, green card status, um, and just ridiculous. Again, the, the arbitrary nature of it all. Uh, I'm sh- I'm sure she liked to travel, and that you know helped in that situation. But to make it required, to make that like you know contingent upon your existence on this planet, no, come on. Yeah, yeah, the arbitrariness of all of these bureaucratic rules. It's it does such enormous damage. And, and the irony is that immigrants can bring so much prosperity, but all that prosperity is lost to the, even the people that, that perpetuate this, uh, this kind of um, oppression. Well, I will ask and, one final question then. Do, do they, do we deserve it then to have all that lost prosperity for the simple fact that we do our damnedest to keep them out? Well, you say we like it was It's a general um, we, yes, but yeah, you know, you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I um I'd have to say no because I I'd, I'd say the the people who are responsible for the thing for for the policies are the ones who maybe deserve the the consequence, but uh, there well, we are all, we, all, we all we all we all reap we all reap the consequences though. That's right. right? Uh, yeah, we all reap the consequence, even though we may be deadly opposed to it. Yeah, uh, we are we are that, punished by their actions for the lost prosperity that's right. overall. That's, that's right. But I don't deserve it. Just like okay. I don't deserve what any politician. I mean, if I don't vote for politicians, I don't vote for. Um, um, I mean, I I don't think I'd have voted for a winning politician um, since I was in college. Okay. Um, so, uh, so I I'm not responsible for. Um, what winning politicians have, have done to other people. So when someone says, you get the government you deserve. No, no, no. I don't. Because there are a lot of um, innocent people. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Final thoughts? Okay, the people, the people voted for them to get what they deserve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but again, we, we bear the consequences of their actions as well. True. So we don't deserve it, but we still, you know, it's, it's still well, have to live with and, it. And to the, the vote... 
I think it's out of naivety because the politicians are so rife with lying and, and deceit that even the people who are voting for them have no clue about um, what it is they're actually voting for. You know, they're they're voting for a dream, you know, that... Uh, Absolutely. ...that they're presented. And even, dream machine. And yeah, even yeah. when I hear the rhetoric, <laughs> right, I, every time I hear rhetoric about the, the goodness of government, it usually stems from the fact, well, this is the intention of the government, this is what the government ought to be doing, right? And, some, oh, man, sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. But, you know, the, the possibility of good government is there because this is what it's set up to do this is what it was intended to do from the beginning, and it just doesn't work out. So it's not it's not the system's fault, right? It's just we got to get better people in there. System's flawless. It's just with the right people. Mm-hmm. All right. Final thoughts? Sounds great. All right. That'll do it for no, us thanks. then. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com. Again, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. Join the club on Clubhouse, uh, The Anarchist Experience, or at me, Riches for Rich, R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four, R-I-C-H. And if you would like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash The Anarchist Experience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha. <laughs>